Well, I'm, I'm starting a message today that we're going to conclude on Christmas Day, and uh, we are so glad, Bazana, to be doing this. Uh, and the title of the message is The Reason Why Jesus Came in the Flesh, or you can, uh, you can, you can entitle it Why God Became a Man. And so we're going to read that together, and uh, we are going to be blessed by that. John chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 4, and then later on I'll go to uh, verse 14 and some of the other verses there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And later on it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among men. And we, began, we beheld his glory. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ, as you know, as we read from the Bible, had been prophesied for thousands of years before. But I don't think the world then, and I think even now, fully understood the mark that would be brought by the birth of Christ, or even the change in the history of the world from the dark ages to post-modernity, if you look around, Jesus is history's most familiar figure. With all the great achievements of men and women around the world, throughout all the ages, all these achievements, I believe, cannot equal the impact that Jesus has had in our world. All those achievements combined cannot in any way match up to who Jesus was. And yet when Jesus came into the world, when he was born, really at his birth, there wasn't such great indication that it was a great man being born or a great person being born. Born in a stable, in attendance, it's just some shepherds and the parents. Even then the parents couldn't get any favorite room in the famous hotels of the time. And they had to lodge in a manger. And even then, Jesus wasn't really born in a very rich home. He came from a very poor background. His father was a carpenter. He himself was a carpenter by trade. And if you read in the, in the Gospels, the comments that were made about him I mean, it was even a question that they asked, can anything good, I mean, come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of such a small place? He didn't come from a big town like Johannesburg. He came from the small towns we have here. I don't know how many of you know a town called Pietrestein? <laughs> Somewhere in South Africa. <laughs> came from a small town like that. And yet this man, who was born under such humble beginnings, became one of the greatest influencers of history and one of the most familiar figures. Jesus never got married as we know. But his treatment of women led to a formation of the community that would actually have women join his cause. He became an example of, of, of how women should be treated in the time when they were so mistreated in that time in history. Jesus really never wrote a book, never was a lecturer at any university at all. But it is a known fact historically 
that he has influenced learning so much that even institutions of learning have tried to form themselves after his teachings. And even the quest for knowledge and, and wisdom and knowledge was spawned at the time of Jesus Christ. I think Jesus instituted a movement that gave rise to libraries and, and guilds of learning. You know some of the famous universities, actually when they started, they were all around trying to teach the ways of Christ. If you go back into the history of Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, some of those universities, and Jesus engineered education, scholarship, made people love knowledge and love the right kind of knowledge. Jesus never held any form of office. He was never in government, never led any form of army. In fact, he said that his kingdom is not of this world. And at the time when he was leading, he seemed to be always on the wrong side of the law, beginning from his time and his life. And yet he starts a movement of men and women, even though they were not as trained soldiers, would give their lives to the mission of Christ. They would so commit to the mission of Christ, even when they were beaten, even when they were tortured, even when they were killed, they still continued with the mission of Christ. These men and women would forsake their lands. They would forsake their mothers and their fathers. They would forsake comfort. They would travel and go on missions in, in a quest to advance the mission of Christ. The Roman Empire, which was the one ruling in the time of Jesus, wasn't known to be very kind to people who were malformed or, or diseased or enslaved people or people who were in the lower ranks of society. But Jesus, when he came as a teacher, he actually started associating with people who seemed to be the lesser grade of society. And he makes statements like, whatever you did to one of these least ones, you have done to me. And if you ever give water to one who is weak, you have done it to me. And the idea slowly began to surface that there's nothing wrong with people who, in inverted commas, were at the lower rank of society. In fact, Jesus showed us that the value of a person is not in the amount of wealth they amass, but in the fact that they are made in the image of God. And he talked about the importance of the soul of men. And we saw Jesus taking care of the sick and, and associating with people who were less fortunate. And years later, we see people like Florence Nightingale being influenced by what Jesus did in taking care of people. So we see hospitals being formed, relief efforts being there, all of us trying to emulate this great man called Jesus Christ. Jesus exemplified humility. In a time, by the way, in the Roman world where humility wasn't necessarily a virtue that was espoused. At the time, it was strength that people looked for. If you look at the pictures back then, among the Roman people, you had to be really strong physically. You got to have good muscle tone and be a real hunk of a guy. Strength is what they looked for. They didn't want meekness. They didn't want humility. You shouldn't be weak. But my goodness, Jesus, even as God himself chooses to be born as a man, chooses to come to the level of humanity and be clothed in the flesh of a man, be born by the very human beings that he created and die one of the worst deaths, one of the, one of the debased deaths you can ever die, die the death of a cross. And Jesus shows humility. Even just before he was crucified, when he knelt down to wash the feet of his disciples, and they said, but how can you do this? You are our leader. 
You are the greatest. He said, you don't understand. The greatest in my kingdom must be the servant of you all. And Jesus showed us that humility is the way to go. And that we need to even associate with those who seem to be weak. Those who seem to be not espoused by society. And so the Bible then tells us, as we go back to our text, in the beginning was the word. This Jesus really was there in the beginning. And maybe to say that is not even correct. Because really Jesus doesn't have a beginning. See, Jesus is God 100% and man 100%. And when you talk about God, you can never use time or the word beginning. Because God has no beginning. In fact, it is God who began the beginning. If you want to go back to the beginning of this world, go as far as you want to go to where this world began. And when you come to the beginning of the beginning, on the other side, you will find God Almighty. And this very God who was there in eternity past, this very God who is the Alpha and the Omega, this very God who is the beginning and the end, this very God who says before Abraham was, I am. This very God who was 100% God and 100% man. This very God who was human enough to wipe away the tears of people, but also hung on the cross and cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. This very God who turned water into wine, but at the same time could partake of the food that was given to him. This very God decides to become man and to dwell among us. Why? Why don't you stay in heaven? Remain where you are as God. Judge humanity from your throne. Why descend and degrade yourself to the form of man? Paul talks about it in 1 Timothy 3.16. He says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And so Jesus was manifested in the flesh. And the question is why? Why was he manifested in the flesh? And as theologians say, why the incarnation? Why did God become a man? There are several important reasons that I want us to explore this morning. And I'm going to finish off some of this and it's even going to be, uh, and I know it's not good English, it's going to be gooder on Christmas Day, if there's a word like that. But we want to start. Number one, Jesus was born in the flesh, first of all, to confirm all the promises that God had made to the early founding fathers who are called the patriarchs. See, God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. We need to remember that. When God makes a promise, he'll keep the promise, no matter how long it takes. And so God had made a promise to Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he made this covenant telling them that salvation would come. Now that's kind of a big word. But the word salvation simply means to save, to rescue, to take somebody out of danger. That salvation would come. In those days, it would come to Israel. But later on, it became clear, not only was God interested in Israel, but God was interested in the Gentiles as well. That salvation would come to all men. And God clearly said, this salvation would come through what God calls the seed of a woman, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus came by the incarnation to fulfill these promises that God had made. In Genesis 3.15, this is what God says, and this is what he promises. 
He says that to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so Jesus came to fulfill that. In Isaiah 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So number one, Jesus then came to confirm these promises that God made as a covenant keeper. We can take comfort in knowing that our God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. That whatever God has promised you through his word, if it is his will, it will be yours. And whatever God has spoken to you concerning your life will be fulfilled. God doesn't turn back on his promise. The Bible tells us in the book of Deuteronomy, God is not a man to lie. Neither is he the son of man to change his mind. Have he said, shall he not do? Has he promised, shall he not make it good? And so we learn from the birth of Christ that God will always keep his promises. Note, for Christ to be born, it took thousands of years. It had been thousands of years ever since the promise was made in the book of Genesis. And so with God, it doesn't matter how many years it takes, God will keep to his word. Can I hear an amen in the house? Number two, Jesus was born to fulfill the law, the Psalms, and the prophets. In the law, the law talked about Jesus. The Psalms talked about Jesus. And the prophets talked about Jesus. Now, I want to talk about those three things under point number two. Now, some of you, I, I know when you talk, you say point 2A. So I'm going to use that on you. You, you know those people who say, uh, I want us to discuss this A, this B, this. So I'm going to do that, all right? So point number 2A. Let's talk about the law. And under the law, Roman figure one. How do you like that? <laughs> so let's talk about the law. Jesus, Roman figure one, A, Roman figure one, he came to fulfill the law morally. What do we mean by that? See, when God gave the law, it was meant for mankind to keep the law. And if mankind kept the law, then they would be justified. They would be found not guilty before God. Then they could relate with God. But as you know, Adam sinned, and when the law came, man broke the law all the time. Now, you know, don't be hard on people, because, I mean, there were lots of laws, more than 300 laws, much more than that. And the sad thing with keeping the law is that, let's say there was 100 laws that you were supposed to keep. If you kept 99 and broke one, then you wouldn't be guilty of only the one that you broke, but even of the other 99 that you didn't break. So it was totally impossible for any human being really to keep the law and for that reason uh, fulfill the claims of a holy God. But when Jesus came, he kept the law. Note, because it was man who had sinned, and it was mankind who had broken the law, it would be necessary that it becomes mankind who comes to fulfill the law for God to reverse the punishment on mankind. Men had broken the law, and therefore they had come under the death penalty. Jesus came, and he was the only one who was able to keep every law without breaking any. Shoo! Thank God for Jesus. 
Roman figure two. He came to fulfill the law as a type. What do we mean by that? When you look at the law, all the ceremonies that they used to do, the services in the temple, what the priests did, the offerings they did, the festivals they obeyed. There were so many processes. I mean, go back into the Old Testament. You know, I mean, when you read how they had to do certain things, you have to face this way, you have to go this way, you walk, walk this way, you have to drink it this way, you have to wear this, you have to do this. Hey, so many of them. And the sad part is, if you just violated one of them, you were in trouble. Think about it. When the priests used to go and offer sacrifices, and when they finally had to get into the Holy of Holies with the blood sacrifice, what happened was their robes used to have bells at the bottom. And they would tie a rope on one of their legs. As long as the priest was in the Holy of Holies, if they had the bells ringing, they knew the brother is still alive. And so you would do all these ceremonies. If you did one thing wrong, zap! And the minute they heard the bells not ringing, they didn't even try to go in there. They would just pull the brother out because they know something is wrong. Imagine if we had to do that to come to church. Yeah, that just for you, God, to accept your worship, it had to start by the what you wear at home. And not just what you wear, how you wear it. And the process that you apply and how you walk in church and the way you sit and the way you whatever. Thank God that Jesus came. We don't have to do any of that. Jesus came and fulfilled all that. Kept every bit of it to the T. All the ceremonial laws. All the services of the priests. Every jot and tittle. He fulfilled all of it in his own person. B. When it comes to the Psalms, all of the Psalms, when you read them, they are pointing to Christ. This is what Bible scholars call them messianic. They are pointing to the Messiah, the coming one. All these Psalms foretold the sufferings of Christ. They foretold the glory that would follow. And Jesus came and fulfilled every one of those promises or those prophecies or those statements that were made. Not only that, when the prophet stood up to prophesy, they prophesied about him. And it's amazing that these prophets came at different times of history. Some of them were separated by hundreds of years. They came across generations, across different times of history. Some prophets prophesied in times when Israel was in bondage. Some of them, it was times of freedom and liberty. Sometimes Israel was taken into captivity and they were put under harsh labor. And then they would cry out to God and God would release them and they would go back to their homeland to try and rebuild their homeland and another prophet would come up and talk about Jesus. Watch this. All the prophecies that had been prophesied over hundreds of years at different times, different seasons, different eras, each one of them Jesus fulfilled. Can you imagine? In fact, we are told there's about over 400 prophecies, types and shadows. All of them pointed to Christ. And Jesus fulfilled them all just to make sure that he is the one. God wanted us to be sure that you're not getting another, you are getting the very Christ that I promised. Can I hear an amen? 
So Jesus is the one. He himself said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I didn't come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So Jesus is the one that was promised. You know, when you go to court, you must be able to prove your case beyond any shadow of a doubt. And you don't prove it by emotions. You've got to give us facts, my brother, my sister. And if we were to take this to court to try and contest if he is really the one, we would have more than 400 things that would produce as evidence that he is the one. And that is why we need to believe in him and not try to walk away from him in any way. Can I hear an amen? amen. Jesus is the one and that's why we are here today. So number one, he came as we said, first of all, to do what? He came to confirm the promises of salvation made to the patriarchs. Number two, he came to fulfill. He came to do what? To fulfill the law, the Psalms, and the... Are you there? Look at your neighbor who didn't say anything and say, who here? Look at them and say, the brother is trying so hard, you are not even responding, who here? <laughs> Number three, I love this one. Jesus came thirdly to give a complete revelation of God as a father. Now know this, in the Old Testament, even if the prophet spoke about God, even if God was involved in people's lives, you only get but fragmentary revelations of God. And you couldn't get in the Old Testament the full revelation or the perfect revelation. Even then, when you look at God through the eyes of the Old Testament, we can see he's powerful. We can see he's capable. <laughs> we can see he's got ability. But can you really relate with people? Can God really understand weak human beings? Because it looked like if they upset him, he would just zap them out. It looks like if you put one foot wrong, you are out. So when Jesus came, he really came to try and educate the human race about who God really is. It's not just about him being a powerful God. It's not just about him being an, a capable God, an able God, but it's a God who can relate and relate to you as a father. The religious leaders of the time thought it was blasphemy. How could this Jesus Christ come and call God Father? Because when they prayed, they prayed to a God who's far away. Maybe that's why we shout sometimes when we pray, Moody, Because he's very far. He's a distant God who's over there. He's got all the power. He's got all the strength. But he doesn't want to relate he doesn't want to come close. But Jesus starts first by saying, okay, God, I'll go down to earth as God. I'll clothe myself in human flesh and I will live among the people so that they can feel me, they can touch me. Can I hear an amen? So Jesus in Christ, God was clothed with the flesh of man, which is the most important revelation, I believe, of the New Testament is that God is relatable and that God is a father. So Jesus was the fullest and the clearest revelation 
of the father and son relationship with God. And there's God who desires to redeem mankind into the new birth. So Jesus came more than anything, not just to reveal the power of God, the ability of God, but to reveal the character of God. In other words, if you really want to see God's attitude in any given situation, look at how Jesus responds to any given situation. Oh, look at the way he responds. Jesus even told the people of his time in, 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 in John 1, in fact, the Bible tells us about Jesus. It says, and the word became flesh, human, incarnate, and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while among us. And we actually saw his glory, his honor, his message, majesty. Such glory as an only begotten son receives from its father, full of grace. Somebody say full of grace. Thank you. Say it again. Thank you very much. Full of grace. Say it again. Full of what? Full of what? Watch this. I love it even in the epistle of John. John says, that which was of the light, which came among us, I'm paraphrasing, which we felt and our hands have handled. So when Jesus came in the flesh and dwelt among people, as they related with this incarnate God, as they touched him and rubbed shoulders with him, what they discovered as they pressed against him, what oozed out of him was grace. He was full of grace. You know, just like a sponge. If you take a sponge and immerse it in water, anytime you come to the sponge and put pressure on it, what comes out of it is what it is full of. And so anytime they rubbed against Jesus, grace came out. Different to the God they knew in the Old Testament. Totally different to what they saw about God. It was in the Old Testament, it was like a God full of fury. A God full of anger. A God full of judgment. But this God who came in the flesh, anytime we relate with him, as we press against him, grace comes out of him. Can I hear an amen? And watch what it says. Full of grace and truth. Wow. Grace and truth. In the Old Testament, truth was presented, but there was no grace without truth. Either you comply or you die. Like we say today, we love to tell people, I'm going to be brutally honest. Jesus says, I beg to differ. I'm going to be honest, but I'm going to be full of grace. Because you see, you can use truth to destroy even if what you're saying may be true, but it may destroy, but not so with Jesus. Even when he confronted people with what they did, there was so much grace in him. And so when Jesus walked around, people saw this grace and truth. In John chapter 8, when the religious leaders took a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And I don't know why they left the guy out. Just ask your neighbor, why did they leave the guy, Mariah? I don't understand. When the religious leaders brought this woman, right where Jesus was preaching, imagine, in public, Jesus is preaching, and they bring this woman. And to embarrass her, they say it in front of everybody. This woman, you know, I can almost tell the way they said it as we speak as religious people. This woman, master, rabbi, this woman, 
was taken in the in adultery. And that's not where they end. They say, in the very act. You know, you know it, it's bad enough for them to say he was taken. Red-handed Jesus. And what does God incarnate do? Oh. He doesn't condone what she did. But he also says to them, you have more sins than she does. If yours is to expose, mine is to cover a multitude of sin. Oh. And he tells them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first one to cast a stone. And they all leave. And he raises his head and he's left with this woman and he looks at her and he says, where are those who are your accusers? And she says, well, Lord, they are all gone. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. That's grace right there. But then listen to the truth. He says, go and sin no more. Yeah, I don't like what you're doing, but I'm not going to kill you for what you have done. Full of grace. See, that's the part of God that most people misunderstand. That's what we need to tell the world about a God who loves, a God who's full of grace, but is also full of truth, but also full of grace. Can I hear an amen in the house? Can I hear an amen in the house? Let me pause for a while, but I've got to tell you this. I've got to get this off my chest. It's nothing bad. It's something good. You heard about the funeral. You hear about it later of a young man in a church by the name of Dumsani. Shabalalam Kwanazi that passed. And uh, I want to thank you all as members of the church, the cell leaders, or my bishop, all our pastors, everybody who's played a role in helping that family. They couldn't afford to bury him. And our church rallied around, the members rallied around, and we had a funeral yesterday. I was choking with tears yesterday just to see what the members had done and the gratitude of the family. This young man, we heard his story, and you, some of you may know him. He'd come here at church. He, he was okay, but he was not well. Started when he was young. So, you know, he lived his own way. And you know what society does to you? You know the names that people call you? And this guy came to church. He would attend here. He wasn't always on time. <laughs> And you know when I'm preaching, I don't like people walking around, but with him, I made an exception. Keep balls at that guy. <laughs> when he walked in here, I, I didn't want the ushers to bother him. He can come and sit anytime. You're welcome. I thought about it yesterday. I had a long thought about it. As the family was responding, I thought, only if the church understood, if we could understood, understand, that God's kingdom is about love. People may not embrace what you're talking about. They may not agree with you. And there's nothing wrong with that. They may not have great opinions about you. But what people cannot run away from is this thing called love. We live in a world that is starving of love. The so-called love that's given by the world sometimes is looking for certain benefits. But a love that can give unconditionally and that's what this Jesus is about. Jesus showed that kind of love. Let's go back to our sermon. Jesus visited the homes of those ostracized by society. 
He went to the house of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, in Luke 19, whom society had ostracized. Nobody wanted to go to Zacchaeus' home. But Jesus, on his own accord, went to the house of Zacchaeus, this man full of grace and truth. We saw him go to Samaria and engage with a Samaritan woman, talk to her as a human being. This woman was so blown away by how this man, who happened to be a Jew, spoke to me as a Samaritan woman, and yet spoke to me in a dignified way and saw dignity in me. This woman, all she knew was to be abused by men. All she knew was to be looked down upon because she's a Samaritan. There were issues as well around religion and all kinds of things. But when Jesus came, spoke to this woman, full of grace, full of truth, this woman was so impacted by the encounter she had that she ran into the city and went into the city and made a public announcement and told everybody, Come and see a man. Different to other men. This one didn't come to me to abuse me. This one didn't look down upon me. This one didn't call me names. Even if he was a Jew. Even if he was a rabbi. Even if he he seemed to be better. But he, he never treated me that way. Come and see a man. Jesus was trying to show. That's how God will treat every one of us. Oh, no matter who you are. God is in love with you. And God cares about you. And he came in the flesh to try and show people this is the way God looks like. Oh, Jesus readily embraced children. When children ran up to him, he embraced them, took time to talk to them. Oh, his religious disciples, when they saw children running to Jesus, they stopped them. They stopped them. Don't go to him. He's a rabbi. You can't talk to him. He's too busy for you. But when Jesus saw that, he said, I call now. No, it's not in the Bible high corner. It's me saying that. <laughs> Jesus said high corner. I love it in Sesutu. It says, Let the little children leave the little children. Let, let the little children come unto me. Because the kingdom of God is full of children. Let me decode it for you. Jesus is saying, listen, heaven is full of children. If I can give you an advice, my brother, my sister, if you don't like children, you better, you better start liking them now because if you don't like them, you're not going to like heaven at all. <laughs> They're going to be full in heaven. They will be, they will be skating down the, the streets of gold. They will be hanging on the tree of life, swimming in the river of life. You might as well get used to them right now. But Jesus loved children and children found him to be approachable, full of grace, Full of truth. Jesus readily embraced people with leprosy. Showed compassion to those who were hungry. When he saw those who are tired and weary, he went to them. He fed the hungry. He came to live among humanity. The word became flesh and dwelt among men. We saw its glory. Full of grace and full of truth. He came to practically demonstrate the character of God, so that we as humanity can understand God cares for us. God is in love with you. Jesus came to unburden people. He came to break the chains of bondage. He came to bring peace 
in the hearts of those who had no peace. In fact, the Bible, when it talks about him, it calls him names. Wonderful. Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. He is the one who is able to bring peace to a troubled heart. You've come here today. Maybe you look at your life broken in a thousand pieces. Maybe you've tried whatever you could try to piece things together. I'm here to present to you and to introduce to you Jesus Christ, the one who came in the world. You say, but where is he? I don't see Jesus around here. Well, this is what he said before he went to heaven. He said, when I go, I will send the Holy Spirit who will come and be my representative. And he said, where two or three of you are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of you. His presence is here right now to reach out to you with your life. Maybe you've been running away from God because you felt God is angry with you. And that's how we have portrayed God. Sometimes people feel, I'm not going to go to church. I don't want to hear anything about God because I'm afraid God's going to destroy me. But God looks at you and he says, I love you. God knows you don't have the power to change your life in your own strength. None of us can. None of us has the power to break the chains of sin and break the chains of bondage. None of us has the ability to comfort a troubled heart, to fill a longing heart with peace and joy. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. And now the golden verse, golden, golden verse I love. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 14. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Today, you can make a decision for Christ. Right now, in this place, you can say, you know what? I want to receive him in my life. I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart. I want him to help me break these chains of sin. I haven't lived in a way that is pleasing to God. Or maybe you are just like I was as a 16-year-old boy, 17-year-old boy. My heart was longing for something I couldn't describe. I felt depression. I didn't know what it was that I was looking for. Though I came from a good home, I had what any young person would want to have. But there was something that was missing in my life. And I remember at 16 years old, I thought hard about it to take my life. Because life had lost meaning. Even if I had the world's goods surrounding me, it never brought any contentment in my heart. What I didn't know is that my heart was longing for Jesus Christ because he said, I will give you the water of life and when you drink of that water, you'll never thirst again. That woman at the well who went to go and fetch water, she needed physical water. But there's another kind of water that her soul was longing for. And there's only that kind of water that can satisfy a longing heart. You are here today. 
I want to invite you to receive Christ in your life. How do you do it? All you need to do is to say, yes, I will invite him into my heart. I'll ask him to come into my life and change me. I want to give you that opportunity today as we bow our heads and close our eyes. it says is he who drinks this water shall never thirst again if you drink of the water that Jesus gives if you invite him into your life and he gives you this life giving water then you will have encountered what your heart has been longing for our heads bowed and our eyes closed please if you are here today and you say please pray for me I want to invite Jesus Christ into my heart just raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray for you. Just raise it high right where you sit. Thank you for those hands. Raise it all over the place. All over the place. Without any shame. Without any fear. I also want this peace. I also want Jesus to bring this peace that passes all understanding. I want the Prince of Peace to sort my lives out. I want my sins to be forgiven. I want my life to be made right again. Thank you for those hands. God bless you. May I ask all of you who raised your hands. Would you please just stand on your feet right where you are? Just stand on your feet. I want to pray for all of you because the decision you are making is the most important decision ever. And we are so proud of you. I'm going to ask you just to come from where you are standing. Don't, don't leave your belongings behind. Take all your belongings and just come to the front. I want to pray for you. Enjoy.